The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son? who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So it was just about a week ago that we were at the excavation of the Pool of Siloam, which suddenly seems very relevant given the text for today. As we were in this place, one of the things that we've talking about, talked about amongst ourselves who have traveled and, and those of you from that part of the world, there's a much greater understanding of where things are and this sense of, oh yes, you would have just walked down to here and they're not these abstract locations but, but concrete places. One of the things that threads through all of the readings for today in various forms is an understanding of baptism. And I want to talk specifically about the ways in which we get kind of confused with baptism. In our tradition, we often think of baptism as being the point at which we're done. Right? All the hard work. There was nine months and other things, and suddenly this child shows up, we do the baptism, and there we are. And as Lutheran Christians, we rely on grace... And that's kind of the end of the story. But that's not at all what the texts are telling us today. I want to start with the Gospel reading. We get this very dramatic account of the healing of this man who was born blind. And it's significant for any number of reasons, but I want to start out with the one that has the strong baptismal connection the blind man did not ask to be healed. The blind man did not ask to be healed. That's kind of significant. There really aren't any other significant healing stories in the Gospels where the person didn't ask to be healed. Jesus chose to heal this man. And it's interesting because we get this very tangible story. We don't get this, the Word of God made flesh be healed and it's all taken care of. There's this tangible and gritty and physical account of Jesus making mud and putting it on this man's eyes. We can kind of picture in this physical sense this healing taking place. And then he was sent to the pool of Siloam. 
Now, in this day and age, that would have been down a very long set of stairs from the Temple Mount area down into a place called the City of David. It would have been stairs and stairs and more stairs down to this pool. It's interesting, when the man enters the water, he is, he's healed, but that's not the end of the story. You notice we have this, this epically long gospel reading, and the healing takes place just in the first couple of verses, and that's just where it starts getting going. Then it all starts to unfold from that place, that place called scent. Scent. When we gather in this place to celebrate a baptism, whether it is of an infant, which is more common in our tradition, or for someone who is an older child or an adult, there's an important piece of that story that is ours as well. It's that God chooses us. Not the other way around. God chooses us. It's very distinctive. In American Christianity, the popular mythology is that we choose God. There is this sense of almost an image of a voting booth where we have to choose. And in fact, some of our old-time favorite hymns start out with, I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, I'll tell you what the good news is is that God already decided to save us. And that is the good news. If we could do it on our own, none of the rest of the Gospel story would have been necessary. But it was exactly because we couldn't that God chose us. In the baptismal liturgy, particularly in the, uh, the old green hymnal, we would often, as a congregation, invite what was often a very small child and welcome them as a fellow worker with us in the kingdom. I always loved that language because you had this about eight or nine pound child there and the picture of them with like a spade or a hammer or something was always kind of at odds with that sense of what we understand baptism to be about. But it was an important reminder to us that we're just getting started. In the first reading that we have for today, the prophet is out to find the next king. And so the prophet goes to the area around Bethlehem and is rounding up people And Jesse is a significant citizen in that district, and he calls him and asks him to bring all of his sons to that place. We hear this another dramatic story as the prophet moves from one to the next, to the next, to the next. Who is God choosing? The story is great. I love when he gets to the end and he's run out of sons. There's this sense of, what do we do? But do you notice what the prophet doesn't do? He doesn't say, well, God was going to pick one of these, so who's who's the best one here? You notice the prophet trusts that God is doing something in that space and is, is patient enough to ask what must have been a somewhat awkward question. So 
do you have any other sons? <laughs> do you have any other sons that are just here? David shows up and he's anointed. One of the things that I think we lose in our modern traditions as we think of the past centuries of baptizing small infants in very, very cold places is that the dramatic use of water and of oil and anointing got very limited in scope. Just a tiny amount of water. And even in our modern renovations of spaces, as fonts are made larger, I don't think any of us would think that we would have the sense of climbing into that one. They're still small. They don't convey that power of what God is doing in that moment. It's interesting in the text that when... David is anointed. This whole horn of oil is poured over him. Not some small amount that the pastor is marking on the forehead, but we picture David having to push it and smear it out of his face to get his hair aside. In fact, the text literally says that he is smeared with it which curiously in the first century becomes this strange Greek word to describe a rabbi from Palestine, Christus, smeared one, the one who has been anointed, chosen by God. David didn't raise his hand. Most of us, when we were baptized, we didn't raise our hand. God chose us. Now, when we look at this text, it goes on further because we know the story of David, right? The text says that he was a cute kid and everybody liked him. He was young. We know the rest of the story, right? <laughs> some of it is great. Some of it is, some of it is not great. Isn't that our story? Our stories are stories of great days and days that are not great. Our stories are when we are at our best and when we are not. When we see what God is calling us to be and when we know we have fallen far short of that. It's at all of those moments that God has chosen us. Not at our best, not at our worst, but God chooses us every day. Luther always said when we get up in the morning, the first thing that we should do is to make the sign of the cross, reminding ourselves of our baptism that we have been chosen. But now let's circle back around to that because we want to stop the story there, right? We like that part because God loves us even when we're not great. The end, right? That's kind of how it stops. I'll give you a little hint as to why church pews are uncomfortable. You're not intended to stay here. <laughs> You're not intended to stay here. The very last words of our worship in this space often traditionally are, Go in peace, serve the Lord. Not 
go home and bask in God's grace. That's it until next week. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our worship then does not end, but continues through the entire week. And so when we are in service to others, we in fact continue our worship just as we are here. That's important for us. We're in this space now, but in a few moments, the words that we will say are, go in peace, remember the poor, thanks be to God. Notice that language, remember the poor. It's not just our memory, as in do something. That is the text that we have. So I would encourage you as you hear the language in the readings today, as you move through this season of Lent where we take a lot of time to evaluate ourselves, to confess our sins to God, to recognize our mortality and brokenness, but to not leave it there. That in the midst of that, God chooses us every day and gives us the power to go out and continue our worship in our homes, in our places of business, in our schools, in our everyday lives. Amen.